أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله والصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to another episode of Sira We're at episode number 7 Before we begin as usual Let us begin with a recitation of Surah Al-Fatiha With the intention of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placing, placing his light and his knowledge into our heart Okay, so today, inshallah, we're, we're proceeding further, and the Prophet now is in his uh, mid 20s. He's about 25, and just to refresh what happened in his childhood, طبعًا, he went through a cleansing, literally a physical cleansing process of his heart, where the black dot was taken out, and we presume that black dot represents Hubbid Dunya, you know, and it represents. Uh, Iblis's waswas over him Which you know, of course we all know that Iblis became a Muslim for him Pretty much His shaitan became a Muslim And so He became ma'asum at that point And of course he's been through so many different experiences The experience of being a shepherd Taught him so many things about uh, That part of his career And then he went on uh, At the encouragement of his um, uncle and his grandfather to learn trading and of course he comes from a family of trade Quraysh are very very um, influential in the region like we said for trade and so he learns a lot about trade and through business and trade you learn a lot about people you learn about how to you know make money and marketing and negotiation skills and so many important skills for life and of course, he would hang out in the Kaaba with Abdul Muttalib, remember? So he would learn about the social affairs, community affairs, economy, politics. Uh, he participated in a war, remember? Harb al-Fajr. He also participated in a peace treaty called Hulf uh, al-Fadul. So all of these experiences are accumulating in his life and he is getting ready literally for the message, yeah? But before then, there still is one more important experience that he has to take. And that is marriage and setting up a family. Because it's no surprise, he's going to be rahmatan lil'alameen. He's going to be a prophet for all of humanity. And our deen is a way of life. It's just not just limited to salah, salam, zakah, hajj. It's a way of life and it includes your life in the house. And of course, every house is built on the foundation of family. And that's why marriage is something that's very sacred. Uh, the you know, children, the upbringing of children, all of that. He has to go through that experience also to prepare him for what's coming up next. And so he will, you know, through that experience, become a teacher for all of humanity. And the Prophet said, خيركم 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 What does that mean? Yes, exactly. So he was, yani, you want to be the best 
in terms of your character, the best among you is the one who is best to his family. And that's the most difficult to be nice to your family. And we discussed this before. It's very easy to be nice for a minute to the waiter. It's very easy to be nice to the talabat driver for 30 seconds. You're just going to receive the delivery. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Khalas, it's over. But being nice with your spouse, being nice with your children, being nice with your parents, your siblings. So many people struggle with this. Do you guys agree or no? There's so much tension, so many, uh, so much conflict going on in many houses. There's so many siblings who don't talk to each other. Uh, I met a sibling uh, last week. She hasn't spoken to her brother in, in years. She's literally decided to cut off that relationship. And so when a family is broken, society is broken. And families are built on marriage. And I don't know if it's a hadith or a rawaya or what it is, but apparently, like you know how uh, Iblis has like an army of shayateen that work for him. And every day he sends them out to go and do stuff. But the number one thing that makes shaitan very, very happy is, is the breaking of a family. And that is divorce. Because for, for that you know, is a major celebration for shaitan. Because once a house is disrupted, a fabric of society is disrupted. Uh, it's not just a couple separating. It's, it's sometimes if children are involved, that in, includes a lot of damage to children. And even... It affects both families, you know, so it's a very deep, deep uh, fracture in society. So it's a very, very delicate issue, very delicate subject. So today we're going to talk about um, this in depth, inshallah. And of course, um, how did it all begin? As part of his trade experience, he was hired by Khadija radiallahu anha. Khadija bint Khawailid was her name who was one of the top businesswomen of her time in, in uh, Mecca, comes from a very noble family. And the reason I mentioned that she is our mother Khadija, why? Because all of the Prophet's wives are considered, you know, Ummahatul Mu'mineen. Have you ever thought about that? Inshallah, if all of us are believers, they're literally our Ummahat. So Khadija is our mother, she's your mother. Very, uh, very interesting and very deep uh, meaning behind that, you know, like the, the respect and the attachment and the relationship we're supposed to have with these mothers. And so many of these mothers, we don't even know. There are mothers, we don't even know them. And yeah, today you learn there's about 12 mothers of the believers because the Prophet had married 12, 12 wives. And isn't it a bit embarrassing and shameful that we don't even know them? They're your mothers, you know? We know Messi and Ronaldo and Brad Pitt and Selena Gomez, but we don't know our Ummahat, you know? So, inshallah, this is an invitation for all of you. Of course, we're studying Sira, but all it takes is a Google search and a Wikipedia read. It takes, wallahi, two minutes to just get a snapshot of each one of them, you know? Like, and all information is there at your fingertips. But just do a quick read on all of your mothers. Get to know your mothers. 
and um, so Khadija, the first who was going to be the first wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, a little bit about her. So like I said, she came from um, a very noble family. Her father was one of the leaders of Quraysh and one of the top business men. Um, Khadija, anha. And by the way, why do we say radiyallahu anha? Or when, it, when we mention the name of a Sahabi, why do we say radiyallahu anha? Because Allah subhanahu wa says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ And this is referring to all the companions who, who basically lived during the life of the Prophet And we mentioned this before, but what are, what are the two conditions to become a companion of the Prophet So I'll help you out. Number one, you got to believe in him, of course, because... There's many who accompanied him but never believed in him. Uh, yeah, before that, very basic definition of a Sahabi or a Sahabiyyah, a companion. You must have believed in him and you must have? No, before that, you must have accompanied him, you must have seen him physically. Right? So if you weren't in the same city or were a different part, part of the world, but. You believe in the Prophet, but you haven't seen him, you don't earn the title of a Sahabi or a Sahabiyya. So these are the basic two conditions. You gotta believe in him and you gotta meet him face to face. And so Allah gave a testimony to all the Sahabiyas and the Sahabis, all the companions and females and males. So that's why we say because there's a stamp done, it's, it's a done deal. Allah is pleased with them. What does it mean, Radhi Allah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them. That's why it's a, it's a matter of faith and aqidah for us to have respect and reverence for all the companions. Because it, it is a Quranic statement. When Allah says Allah is pleased with all the companions, then we should also have respect and reverence and love for all the companions. Uh, and this is where some people kind of uh, get misguided you know you, some people have ill feelings and hatred about specific sahabas because of some events in history that is it is a matter of our faith you know we should not have any ill feelings toward any towards any of the sahaba they're all Allah is pleased with them. if Allah says laqad radiyallahu anil mu'mineen Allah is pleased with them we have we go with that we don't we have no right to say well Allah's please but no I'm not because so-and-so said that that person was not good or this it's a, that's a red line for us so radiyallahu an ummana Khadija she was uh, previously married twice and widowed twice like in both cases her husbands passed away uh, and so she is uh, now, at, the, at this point, she's single and a very successful businesswoman and extremely generous. Her, her title in, in Mecca is Amirat Quraysh, literally. So, yani, she has a very, very strong reputation. Now, a side note or a side kind of uh, observation. She, she was a businesswoman in, in Mecca, in Arabia, you know, because there's this idea that sometimes women 
in, the, in Arabia just sit at home and they cook food and they raise the kids and they clean the bathrooms and you know do the housework while the husband goes out and works uh, and and women are illiterate about money and about business and it's the husband who's just going out and you know the, so this is right from the beginning we're we're clarifying that misconception that women had an active role to play even in society in terms of business and she was shrewd she was the daughter of a businessman and she was they say that her caravan just her caravan when it would go to Rahlat al-Shita'i was Saif which was to Yemen and to Sham it would be so big that it would be the equivalent of all the other small caravans her caravan alone would be equal to all the other caravans combined she was extremely wealthy and extremely um, influential in, in the business world okay um she was known to have never worshipped idols and she was also known to have um, been very generous she used to help the poor she would play a very active role in terms of um, helping the needy she also had a cousin named Waraka ibn Nawfal what's his name? Waraka ibn Nawfal why am I asking you to repeat this? because his name will come in handy probably next week Okay, he was a very learned uh, scholar of the Torah and the Injil. He had he was very well read in these two two books. He was very familiar with uh, with those books, and he will come. His role will come later on uh, as we move along. But just keep a note of that, a mental note of Waraka bin Nawfal. And so, of course, she would spend time with her cousin, and they would discuss things about religion. And she was very very um, intellectual in that sense. Question. Yes. His name. His name. Waraka bin Nawfal. So, the Prophet has built already a very strong reputation in the market for being uh, someone who's blessed and someone who has very nice akhlaq. And so, Khadija wanted to test him. So, in one of the smaller, kind of minor, let's say, business trips, she assigns him the business trip and she sends across her uh, one of her staff named Maysara who accompanies the Prophet ﷺ during this trip. And by the way, isn't, uh, why is that such a smart move? It's because as we know from business, can you trust your partners or suppliers full out from day one or should you like try them out gradually? Try them out gradually, right? Don't sign like a five-year contract. No, try for six months and see how it goes and then you can always renew and, and go further. So what she did was actually in Islamic finance, it's known as a mudaraba transaction where uh, there is a mudarib who literally makes the money uh, circulate in the economy. So you have in the mudaraba transaction, you have rabbul mal, someone who has money. And you have a mudarab, a trader who takes that money and then invests it or, or does trading with it. And then the mudarab and the rabbul mal agree on a profit sharing and profit loss percentage prior to the business undertaking. Okay, I know it's a bit technical, but it's important. Why? Because 
this is at the heart of Islamic finance. We had the discussion uh, a few episodes ago about riba and how dangerous it is for society. But at the essence of an Islamic economy is this concept of circulation of wealth, mudaraba and musharaka, two primary uh, ways to do business. Musharaka is where you literally have two partners who come together, both minds come together, both have money put into the business and they have a profit and share loss uh, agreement. And that's very healthy because is there a risk involved in taking uh, in starting up a business? Of course. And there is barakah in taking that risk because with that risk comes tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With that risk comes uh, creation of jobs in the economy. You are, you know, putting your money to work. You are creating something, either a product or a service. Your customers are benefiting from it. Your suppliers are benef benefiting from it. So not, money is not just sitting in the bank and earning interest. That's the idea here. You make it work and you circulate the money so that everyone can uh, benefit from it. And you put food on the table for your employees, right? And so mudaraba and musharaka, fundamental transactions. You had a question? Good question. So, you know, it was known, this term called Hanifiyya, Al-Hanif, literally people who were born or, or people who had that belief that we are on the religion of Abraham, the religion of Tawheed, uh, it's called Al-Hanifiyya, which means that you are not, uh, you're inclined to the truth, basically. Hanifiyya, that's what it means. Purity, truth, innocence. You're pure. You're not corrupted with... Uh, idol worship of, of any sort. So some people in Arabia at that time followed the Hanifiyya and she was one of them. The Prophet ﷺ also was one of those people who had never worshipped an idol and who had that fitra, the fitra was salima basically because again by fitra uh, we're all built with that fitra, right? Kullu mawludin yuladu ala al-fitra and then the parents corrupt that. So is this clear, this point about mudaraba? Very important. And unfortunately, nowadays, we don't see that much, right? If you have a project to, let's say, start a manufacturing plant to make, uh, I don't know, chewing gum or something, and you go to like a bank in Bahrain and you tell them, listen, this is a 15-year project. It's going to cost me a million dinars and I'm going to you know, make you money after 15 years. Are they going to agree to give you money? Probably not. Why? Because they want money after 15 years or after one year? Yeah, so again, there's greed on the part of the institutions. There's a lack of patience. There's lack of tawakkul. Uh, they probably say, oh, it's a very high risk investment, so we won't really support you. But that's why a lot of businesses are struggling to kind of grow and entrepreneurs are stuck. They have creative ideas, creative initiatives, but nobody to support them. And so, yani, this is something that, inshallah, we hope and pray that, uh, you know, gets resolved because it's very important for the economy. What if you go to an bank? Yeah, same thing. They won't give you money, yani, unfortunately, right? Because it's too long term and the shareholders of the bank want money this year, right? And uh, even for the bank, if that was a mudaraba, the, the bank would have to pass it down to investors to invest with you, like to co-invest with you. 
Do the investors today have the patience to wait for returns after 15 years? No, no they want to place it in a, in a, in a Islamic sukuk or a fixed deposit that pays them 5-6% and watching Netflix or earning money uh, pretty much uh, in a very lazy way, which is very, very unproductive for society. Okay? So as a businesswoman, has, she, has, she, has Khadija seen many faces of people? Of course, she's seen the liars, she's seen the cheaters, she's seen the stingy people, she's seen corruption. And she's, people, she's seen people who are really tough to do business with. Have you ever come across someone like that who's just very difficult to deal with? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and so يعني, the hadith of Prophet Rahimallahu rajulan samhan That Allah has mercy on the one who is easy going, easy to deal with. Samhan means very easy to deal with. You know, when, when uh, this person goes to buy something, he's easy on the seller. And when this person goes to sell something, he's easy on the customers. And when this person lends money to someone, he's easy on the borrower. But what has happened to our society today? Like when we go to buy something, are we easy on the seller or like do we make their life difficult and we, you know, speak to them rudely? We try to over-negotiate and... And Musakin, we only negotiate with like al-faqara, yani. you know, when you go to like a five-star restaurant, you won't negotiate on the price, you just pay the bill, whatever it is. But when you go to like the, the, the guy selling fruits, you try to negotiate, ah, dinar la khalla thamani metfils, la khalla sabi metfils, miskin, yani, you know. Fa, do, you, do you guys agree? Yeah. to pay full and even more is al-faqir miskin li tomat you know but uh, so i love this hadith rahimallahu rajulan samhan so this is something that all of you should aspire to be samh to be easy to deal with you're an easy person you're not a difficult person when you go to buy something be easy on the seller when you're selling something, be easy on your customers. Make life easy, you know. Allah says, Allah wants ease for you. And the Prophet would always instruct the Sahaba also, Make life easy for people, don't make it difficult. And he would also say that if there is two ways to do something, an easy way and a difficult way, always choose the easy way. Be easy. Go easy on people. If you've, you've lent money to someone and they're struggling to pay it off, don't, don't be tough on them. You never know what they're going through. You know, and of course, waiving that debt also is like ihsan. You know, it's the best thing you can do. So, again, Yani, she's seen all of all types of people. She's seen them, and so when she sees or hears about the Prophet she's impressed, right? Because he is different. And who has witnessed this? The traveler who went with uh, the Prophet right? Maysara. So Maysara comes back with a full report that Muhammad Oh my God, his akhlaq, different level. He's completely honest, completely trustworthy. The way he does business, he's just so nice and kind and straightforward and transparent and 
doesn't try to cut corners and he's extremely intelligent and great communication skills people love him and you know there's like they say in this trip like the the money that they made was like three times the the usual uh profit that they usually make in trips you know so uh she was very impressed by him by what she heard and she was also naturally attracted you know and is there something wrong with being attracted to a person with a nice personality is it haram no astaghfirullah you know this and some people have this idea that astaghfirullah no 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 she yeah you can't be attracted it's not good you're a widow you've already been you know widowed twice halas it's over right society sometimes uh put these ideas in our minds which is completely not true Absolutely, absolutely. So, he, yani, and we'll see this, how he's going to break all the taboos of society, you know. Um, and so a, a slight discussion here about criteria when it comes to marriage, right? Um, the Prophet ﷺ would say that the criteria for marriage often is for the looks for the money, for the family, okay? لِمَالِهَا وَجَمَالِهَا وَنَسَبِهَا But then at the end he would say that فَقْفَرْ بِذَاتِ الدِّينِ تَرِبَتْ يَدَاكَ That go for the one who has deen, you will be saved, you will be successful. And here when we talk about deen, we don't just talk about someone who is uh, you know prays five times a day or fast in Ramadan la deen is remember ibadah and akhlaq together someone who embodies the character as well as the worship aspect and so these two combined are important guys yani and on the other hand you have people who say you know what as long as his akhlaq are good the ibadah aspect is not good it's not a, it's not important it's okay if he doesn't pray if it's okay if he you know doesn't fast in Ramadan, that's fine. As long as he's a good person, he has a nice heart, he's kind. Inshallah, Allah be you. You know, he'll, he'll, in the future, he'll start praying or whatever. And on the other hand, if you just go with, uh, as long as she prays, And so, and the Prophet has taught us what our number one criteria should be. Is, is all, are all the other things not important no they're important of course social st- uh, families uh, let's say family um, what's the right word like how how the both families align with each other it's important yes you have to be somewhat aligned in terms of the the family status and culture maybe to some extent of course there's exceptions uh, Money, not really that important usually. But, uh, and of course, beauty is important. We're not saying beauty is not important. Of course, attraction has to be there, right? Uh, but the Prophet is telling us what the criteria, sh- the order, the priorities, what it should be. Number one should be what? The deen. Okay. And again, yani, let's look at our society nowadays. Is that 
is that practice? Are we following those teachings? Or, or we just you know, look at looks and money and how big the house is and how much his salary is and how popular the family name is and then we just خلاص, take the plunge. What do you think? A bit of both. Depends, yeah. Exactly. So, social status and maturity is important. Of course, is the Prophet ﷺ mature? Yes, he's been through a lot. He's, like we said, he's been through several deaths now. That in itself taught him a lot about life. He's, uh, you know, been a shepherd for a while. He's done business. He's done so many things. His personality is very, very developed. And again, that, that's another important quality nowadays. Is to find a spouse that's mature. Right? You don't want to marry like a kid. And um, someone who's, who understands life, who understands responsibilities, someone who's willing to compromise, someone who's willing to uh, support, and all of those things. And so the Prophet was a very blessed trader. And uh, the two qualities that the Quran gives us of whenever you want to hire someone, okay, for those of you who are employers seeking to employ, these are the two main qualities the Quran teaches us uh, from Surah Al-Qasas. Qawiyun Amin. What does it mean? Amin, we all know, means trustworthy, right? But Qawi, does it mean like muscles and a six-pack? No, what does it mean? Like not just personality, but skills, skills like good and strong in your skills. So you hire the best programmer that has the best akhlaq, that's trustworthy. Or you hire the best architect who had the best akhlaq. You hire the best, uh, I don't know, chef who has the best akhlaq. You know, so this, whatever skill is important for your business, that's the quwa part. But then, Amin comes along with it, trust. And, um, you know, this is what, even in modern day behavioral psychology, they talk about these two main qualities. Uh, trust alone is not enough. You can't just hire a nice guy who's crappy at his job. Right? You can't hire uh, a, someone who's very, very good at his job, but he's a crook. He's, you know, he's corrupt. He's uh, toxic. And we see that, right? And sometimes we have to learn the hard way. But Sharia and the law, the law and the, the life of the Prophet ﷺ give us these shortcuts, you know. But sometimes the insan is stubborn. إِلَّا يَبِّي جَرَّبْ بِرُوحَ Amin. That's the formula. And he, he of course ticked both boxes. And of course Khadija was um, single, right? And so a lot of men had approached her and what uh, she was looking for she didn't find yet, right? And so she would reject a lot of the men there. And then when, uh, you know, one day she's sitting with her friend Nafisa and they're having this conversation and, and يعني, this comes up that I want to marry this man. And so in, she initiates the whole proposal thing. Isn't that also really nice and amazing? Is that a woman is initiating the proposal. Usually, يعني, in our society, we say it's aib. Here we are with the, you know, the best of all humanity being, and, and a woman is proposing to him. And this also, also shows you how... Uh, beautiful his character was that and he, for her there was no shame in it 
But at the same time, she didn't talk to him directly. Why? Because there is also the aspect of what? Haya and modesty. Exactly. So the way you do it, there has to be some sort of respect, some sort of honor, self-dignity, you know. Uh, and so she sends her friend. And the friend goes and speaks to the Prophet ﷺ also in a very indirect way. She, she tells him basically, uh, Ya Rasulullah, like, have you considered marrying? And he said, you know what, who would marry me? I'm poor, I'm an orphan. And so she suggests, why don't, why don't you marry Khadija? And, you know, he says that, why would she marry me? Like, I have nothing. And so the Prophet ﷺ then uh, asks his uncle Abu Talib for advice. And here also we're learning something. Is that we, we've seen so many like romantic movies, Romeo and Juliet type movies that we like to rebel against our parents and elderlies and we like to like do things on our own. Uh, thinking it's, uh, I don't know, romance or whatever. But the blessings of the elderly always has a very important role to play. And we're learning this from the Prophet ﷺ. He, could have, could have just said yes to Nafisa and khalas, that marriage would have been done. But what did he, out of respect, what did he do? He asked his uncle for advice. And so it's something for us to learn also. صح? It's sometimes the wisdom of our elderly is always important to seek. Because when, when two people get married, are the families also going to be kind of in a way married and, and there's going to be like an impact on both families? You have to take that into consideration also, right? So, so it's not about just being selfish, right? It's not just about, oh, I want her, khalas, I don't care if my parents don't agree. I don't care if my families don't, you know, agree to this. Who cares? I want my happiness. My, it's my future. So I'll do whatever I want. No, so it's pretty much... Uh, Similar to what it is now, there was uh, a mahar that was given and there was uh, witnesses, right? And that's it. So it, doesn't, it didn't have to be written down, but there was witnesses and uh, a dowry that was paid to the wife. Hmm? But no one marries no, so, Sorry. There's no because no, Islam still, like we're not in Islam yet. Like this is pre-Islam, exactly. Yeah, it was just a cultural thing. Yeah, so there's still the Prophet hasn't become a messenger of Islam yet. Sorry? Yeah, so pretty much it was a cultural thing and we know that he did give a dowry, a mahar, and he did also have a wali, which is basically his guardian, witness over the marriage. And that these are part of the arkan of the ma of marriage. And mahar is important because uh, both of these are extremely important because in some cultures, um, like in Egypt, they have this thing called zawaj al urfi. Have you guys heard about this? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a disaster because um, you know there's they kind of skip those necessities like the mahar and the and the, the family knowing and they just get married like in a flexible way. And what this has created is a lot of damage to, uh, especially to women, because men take advantage of this flexible marriage and they misuse it. And women, you know, with their emotions and stuff, get sucked into it and trapped into it. And then it leads to heartbreak and 
separation in a very ugly way and, and men are misusing that flexibility. Okay, so uh, don't go easy on these two conditions. I mean, mahar and dowry, very, very important because it shows how serious the guy is and um, it's no joke. Marriage is no joke, you know. And these, p these things have been put in, in place. And by the way, Islam has taken things from culture, by the way. So notice, these things are part of culture and they became part of Islam. Why? Because... Uh, Again, yani if something works and it's good for society, why shouldn't it be included in, as part of our sharia? But of course, then the other extreme is excessive mahar, right? Where like uh, women are asking for like excessive amounts of mahar and I want a house and I want a car and I want a honeymoon and, I, and then it makes, becomes difficult for the men to kind of satisfy that part of it. So... It's important and the husband needs to show seriousness, but there, there's got to be moderation. And of course, you've got to take into account the family uh, uh, status and their ability, you know. Yes, so there's barakah and making marriage easy. Uh, this is very important. That marriage isn't supposed to be something difficult. Um, the more difficult it is the more problems we have in society do you guys agree okay let's let's talk about this briefly so when so we human beings have this desire to be loved and the desire for affection and intimacy and there's these sexual desires that we also have built inside of us and marriage is the way that you fulfill these desires. And uh, when that channel is not open or easily accessible, what, what ends up happening is that you, you turn to fahisha and imp impermissible ways of satisfying yourself, whether it's through inappropriate relations or just individual satisfaction through addictions and all sorts of habits that can corrupt your heart spiritually you know and um, Iblis in Surah Al-A'raf exposes to us a very important reality of why what was the objective of him doing waswas to Adam and Hawa to eat from the tree. You guys all know the story of eating from the tree, right? Yeah. So Iblis tells us why he wanted them to eat from the tree. Of course, he wanted them to disobey Allah, right? So that they can be taken away out of Jannah and all of that. But there is a very subtle intention behind why he does that. And in Surah Al-Araf, Allah says, فَوَسْوَسَ لَهُمَ الشَّيْطَانِ I know that sounds like Chinese to some of you, right? But what it basically means is the shaitan whispered to, uh, to both of them. And of course, he didn't whisper to Hawa like the, some Christians say. Some Christi Christians blame the whole story on Eve. And they say that's where evil comes from, from Eve. Yani here can't So waswasa lahuma, which means what? Both of them. 
So he, he did wiswas to them because what, what we know from the tradition is when they ate from the tree, what happened? Their clothes came off. And they went and, and, and tried to cover themselves up, their, like their shame and their private parts. But that's what he wanted. He wanted their clothes to come off. And there's a, like, a very important lesson here is that a spiritual danger of fahisha because let's take a step back here very important so you have kind of two types of sins you have major sins that have to deal with violation of the rights of others like uh, killing and rape and uh, fraud and um, Give me other examples of doing injustice to others. Stealing. Stealing, corruption, all sorts of things that have to deal with violation of rights of others. These are big no-nos in Islam. Okay? And then you have the other types of sins that are private, that are more fahisha related. Perhaps it's in, indulging in, in uh, intoxication or haram relationships or um, just... Uh, addiction to pornography or you know uh, uh, an affair that's going on outside of marriage many many of you might think that you know what at least i'm not doing those big major like any injustices to people and not violating the rights of others these are just like we're just having fun we're just uh pleasing ourselves and yani okay it's haram but we're not harming anybody. We're doing it out of consent. If you know what I mean, yes? And yes, we're doing something wrong, but it's not that big of a deal. But the reality is that fahisha in the Quran is a serious problem when it comes to dhulm and nafs. Okay, so yes, in the, in, the, in the first example, like when you do, when you violate the rights of others, you're doing dhulm of akhareen. And by the way, dhulm, means injustice and it also comes from the same root word of zalam okay zulm zulumat okay it's darknesses so when you do zulm of others that's darknesses on a society level but when you do fah when you commit fahisha you're doing zulm and nafs and so what that the ulama of spirituality say that that brings darkness into your heart and it creates veils in the heart and then the nur of the the dhikr and the Quran and the salah and the, all of this is, doesn't penetrate through the heart. Why? Because you have so many veils. And so, yes, may, maybe on a society level, since you're doing things privately in your house, you're not harming anybody, it's fine society-wise, but guess what? Spiritually speaking, your heart is, is uh, being veiled and, and destroyed and rusted. And though that, uh, it's part of the diseases of uh, the heart, amrad al qulub they call it. Okay? So, in that sense, it is extremely important to channel your shahawat in the right way. And, and what's the right way, especially the sexual desires, is marriage. And so, shaitan wanted their clothes to come off. Why? Because when the clothes come off, then society. Uh, has no respect for these images and fahisha spreads 
And when fahisha spreads, humanity is destroyed. And that's what's happening today, right? And this is something that like people put under the carpet and nobody talks about. But again, we're talking about seerah and life. This is the reality of life. That yani, so many people are addicted to shamelessness, addicted to filth online, whether it's through the music industry, the movies industry, or entertainment, or look at the fashion industry. It's all about reducing your clothes. It's about showing more skin. It's about being more transparent in your clothes, tighter, more transparent, less clothes on. You know, and what this does, it it's, uh, destroys society. You know, and uh, it's, it's enhancing the sexuality to a, a degree where then it leads to uh, addictions, it leads to violation of people's kind of uh, dignities and, and things like rape and all sorts of things. Are you guys with me? Yeah. yeah. So it's a reality and, and the solution is marriage. And that's why marriage, early marriage is encouraged. And that's why like your age of puberty is 13, 14. Technically, you're ready to get married. Yes, we have culture, society, all of that. But technically, Allah has designed your body to get married at a young age. Because you're supposed to be mature by then. You're supposed to be working, earning money by then. You're all set. Your organs are all set. Mentally, there's no problem. Mentally, spiritually, socially, did I connect all the dots? Are we, are we clear with this topic? That shaitan wanted to remove the clothes to spread fahisha because when fahisha spread, people think they don't need marriage and when there's no marriage, there's no family and when there's no family, there's no society. There's no structure. And that's what like, the West is promoting now. This idea of open... Uh, I don't know. Everything is open source. You can do whatever you want. There's no limits. You want to... Astaghfirullah, now I was, I was reading an article like they're making it legal to have sex with animals now. Pedophile, will, yeah, very soon pedophilia will become legal. And yani, subhanAllah, when you don't have a deen, yeah, incest, like, yeah, with your with mother, your sister, whatever, yeah, astaghfirullah. So that's where you see a lot of people have a problem with religion being limiting. But guess what? That In that limiting is rahmah. There is. It's necessary for humanity to preserve its dignity and its honor, right? When you don't have limits, we become worse than animals. And Allah said this, Right? They are like the cattle, but in fact they are even worse. And this is what's happening today. Okay? So, uh, how long did this marriage last? 25 years. So how old was the Prophet when he got married? 25. Okay. How old was she when, she, when they got married? Around 40. Yeah. So there's a already how many years difference? 15 years. Yeah, difference. So they were married for 25 years. 15 years of those were prior to him becoming a prophet. Then the Prophet became a prophet at the age of? 40. 40. And he's getting married at 25. So there's 15 years of 
marriage and memories and experience prior to becoming a prophet. And then of course, after he became a prophet, she was with him for another 10 years. So she, she shared 10 years with him. And of course, she, she was the first human being to accept Islam, like uh, to follow the Prophet So uh, again, this is an honor for women. The first Muslim was a, a woman, yeah, technically. She was his first supporter and she was the, the fir- technically the first Muslim. And of course, she dies when? At the 10th year of prophethood. Yeah, um, and, and that year also, who else dies? Ab- uh, yeah, his uncle Abu Talib, who's one of his biggest supporters, also dies. So it's a pretty, very heavy year on the Prophet ﷺ because both were very, very important supporters for him. Uh, Abu Talib was his supporter outside the house, and Khadija was the supporter inside the house, and both were taken away from him. So, literally, the whole year, you know, of just tragedy, and of course. We'll, when we come to that, we'll discuss how the Prophet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how he uh, consoled him by inviting him to a very special meeting with him directly in the Isra and Mi'raj. Hopefully we'll talk about that when we get there. So I want you to also understand that like 15 years of, uh, sorry, 25 years of marriage, is that a long time? And making marriage work, is it a, a, a hard work? It's not hard, it's just you gotta be willing to do what it takes, you know, and um, and when you apply the, the deen, when you apply the sunnah of the Prophet it makes your marriage easier also. And this is something I wanted to also share with you guys. And that, yani, when we talk about learning seerah and learning the deen and the Quran and the sunnah, it's, it's, the lessons in it are there for us to practically apply in every aspect of our lives. So seerah and the Qur'an is supposed to make you a better business man or a businesswoman. It's supposed to make you a better employee. It's supposed to make you a better son and, and, and daughter to your parents. It's supposed to make you a better spouse. It's supposed to make you a better parent. That's how we should approach this, right? That's where you really benefit from this. And so, just like most marriages today, like they say that the love doesn't last more than three years. And it starts fading away after like the first baby, you know? Because now the, the mother now turns her attention from the husband to the child. And the, the husband feels neglected. Ooh. And of course, all the bodily changes that happen after pregnancy, then the attraction also starts going away and the you know, husband starts looking elsewhere. But in pure marriages, where there's purity, where it's based on values, this love just keeps growing and it's never ending. So if a, if a marriage is based on shahwa, it's up, uh, the, the love is here and then gradually it fades away and then it becomes a drag. And either you just, uh, you know, continue living together but there's no love or you start having affairs on the side or it ends up in, in separation. But marriages that are built on values, it's really an upward curve because the love just keeps increasing and increasing increasing as you are together so it's it can be a, a beautiful thing and um, you know when we look at like we are inspired by movies like rom- romance movies like you go on Netflix and you choose the romance category 
all you see is like lust and affairs and uh, vulgarity and and it's yani, and it usually ends in like either one, both getting both dying or like Romeo and Juliet right eventually like both die right like they don't even get married uh, oh it uh, ends up in one of them dying or like the Titanic one dies and, uh, and then the other dies where's the love story in that yani, you know True love is, is true love is when you get married and then you make that marriage work for 20, 30, 50 years and the love keeps growing. That is a true marriage. That's a, that's true love. And so we sometimes confuse love with lust. Don't you agree? Yes. It's two very very different things. And you know the lust aspect of lo- of marriage is, is just an hour a day or half an hour or 15 minutes or whatever it is. What about the rest of the day, you know? There's so much that you have to deal with beyond the intimacy, beyond the bedroom. And you know, also in contrast to Khadija, there's this other wife of the Prophet who's extremely young, Aisha anha. And we'll talk about her when we get there. But it's an important point here is why didn't he marry a, a young virgin like Aisha? By the way, Aisha was the only virgin that the Prophet married. All his other 11 wives were either divorcees or uh, widows. So why wasn't Aisha the first wife? It's because like Islam needed at this point, it was a critical point for the Prophet it needed a mature woman who would be able to support the Prophet And in this case, she's even older than him. And... Uh, Aisha's role is different. Aisha was the youngest for a reason. Who knows what the reason was? There's again, it's part of the divine plan. Exactly, and uh, yeah, she was one of the top. She was spreading his message, and, and most of these hadith that we know about, like the intimate and and marriage aspect of the Prophet, we know from Aisha because she was uh, literally a, a female scholar, and the Sahaba would come and study with her. And learn hadith from her, and she was, you know, lived for many, many years after the Prophet because her role was to spread his teachings. Uh, whereas Khadija's role was more of supporting him. So we've already, <coughs> uh, as we've <coughs> covered this, sto- this story of the marriage, there's so many taboo topics that come up. One, number one, the Prophet worked for a woman. He didn't say, the, I'm not going to work for a woman. business, You know, he again was humble enough to say, you know what, I'm going to work with a woman. She's the best at what she does, and there's no shame in me working for a female. A lot of men, they talk about this thing called toxic masculinity and stuff. It's a very common term now. They have this ego issue. You know. The Prophet did it And يعني, There's no shame Another The fact that she's يعني, that The fact that he's marrying A widow that's يعني, Much much older than him You know Is it Is it uh, Acceptable in society nowadays To marry A woman who's been widowed twice لا, للأسف, Right why? Yeah. 
<clears throat> the Prophet is teaching us that there's nothing wrong. And blacks, widows are, um, uh, uh, يعني, they represent a part of society that need our support also, you know. And everyone thinks, خلاص, it's the end of their marriage life. Then حتى divorcees, يعني, you know, like, للأسف, uh, they're seen as, خلاص, their chapter is closed and, you know. No one really looks at them. But that's something that society needs to work on. <clears throat> she was older than him, 15 years. So again, marrying someone older than you. It's completely fine based on what we've, we're learning from the life of the Prophet Was, was that normal? Yeah, yeah. It was normal. Yeah, yeah. And uh, even marrying very early on was normal. Marrying at the age of 12, 13 was very normal. <clears throat> so... This idea of attraction also, like, I know it sounds funny, right? But attraction is not haram, right? But sometimes we need to explain this because some people think that, no, in Islam, it's not allowed to be, you're not allowed to have attraction. And if you have attraction, then you're sinful. La astaghfirullah. This is a natural feeling that Allah has built inside of you. Um, and if you don't have that attraction, then it's an issue, actually, right? got to get yourself checked out but we learn like how this attraction needs to be channeled right so in the case of Khadija she sent a proposal the parents were involved it was done with intention of marriage from the start yes did she get to know him for about two years by the way they say that she got to know him for two years before she proposed it wasn't just this one trip. She tested him. She, she didn't rush into it. You see? And usually, like, is two years and enough time to get to know someone? Yeah. Of course. And she was getting to know his business uh, character, which means, like, money, right? So when you, when you really want to know someone, you test them with money, right? And, of course, he passed all those tests. So she did her homework. And Surah Al-Qasas tells us the, like, the best story of how attraction is completely fine as long as it's channeled in the right way, right? So uh, you all know the story of uh, Musa salam when he went to Madian. You know the story? So Musa salam just committed the murder by accident and he becomes a fugitive. He has to leave Egypt and he goes to a city called Madian. And there he's uh, sitting next to a kind of like a lake where people are uh, getting some water from the well. And two girls are standing on the side waiting for their turn. And apparently like all the men are يعني, busy taking water from the well. Mahad, no one's helping these girls. But he approaches the girls and says, Ma What's the matter with both of you? Again, here يعني, we're learning something about gender, about mixing and interaction with the opposite gender. Some people take it to an extreme. When they become religious, they, they say, oh, interaction is haram. You're not supposed to look at someone. You're not supposed to talk to a girl. You're not supposed to mix. We're learning from Quran how Musa السلام, a male, went to two girls and asked them for help. Of course, he didn't go and chit chat with them about, hey, what, you know, did you watch Netflix yesterday? Did you, you know, what's your favorite food? Do you like Chinese or, or sushi? No. What's the matter with you? He went to help them. فكان عنده يعني نية to help them, you know. 
Yes. Exactly, exactly. So so this like one of the two girls likes this man and yani <coughs> she goes back home and tells her father that by the way we yani uh, we saw a man and he helped us. You should hire him. Okay? She tells her father, "You should ya abati sta'jir. Inna khayra man sta'jarta al-qawi al-amin." You should hire him. He's qawi, he's amin. And so the father gets the hint. What's the hint? She likes them. She likes them, exactly. It's so cute, right? Like how uh, the father gets it and he doesn't expose her. He doesn't put her on the spot. Hey, ah, you like her. You like him, huh? Um, or he doesn't scold her. Astaghfirullah. How can you talk about another man like that? Shame on you. Go in your room. No. He's quiet and he uh, tells his daughters to go and bring him home. Literally. But both of them go and they invite him over and they say that when like they were walking back yeah istihya with modesty exactly the way they approach him and they're not flirtatious or anything they go with a very modest way and in fact they say that while they're walking back he's walking in front of them and they're walking behind is that a, is that a respectful to the women or not what's more respectful to work to walk behind women or in front of them yeah, for the men, yes. Uh, it's always respectful to go because, of course, you don't want to see what's going on in the back. للأسف the the يعني etiquette is ladies first, لا men first, and that's why حتى في الصلاة men first, ladies in the back, and that's no disrespect. Blacks, that's honoring the women. But um, that's why in Salah also the ladies are in the back. You know. Like all these subtleties, they make a very, very big difference. And so like he comes home and tells the father all these stories and then the father proposes and offers one of his daughters and, and it ends up with a happy marriage and you know, Musa gets a job and he gets a visa and he gets a house and all of that. So attraction is not haram, it's how you channel it. It's يعني, involving your parents at an early time involving his parents her parents together and if there's uh, compatibility then yeah you, you go for it but if it's if you're gonna go down the haram route of you know what let me explore this relationship and uh, get to know him on a very very deep level and it gets physical and it gets intimate and that's khutuwat shaitan because you know when it comes to zina what is zina? Yeah, uh, adultery, uh, fornication and adultery, like outside of marriage. The, Allah subhanahu wa says in the Quran, فَلَا تَقْرَبُ وَلَا تَقْرَبُ الزِّنَا What did he say? Don't go near it. Why? He didn't say don't do it, he said don't go near it. Why? Yes, exactly. You can't, you can, يعني, that's just human nature, you know. You're, you'll be weak, you're going to do it. And so... When we say, no, 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 it's okay, I'm just getting to know him, we're just holding hands, we're just going to go to the movies, I have to get to know him on a deeper level. No, these are, yani, I know you're, you're impatient, you, you have those hormones and desires, but you got to have iffa. Remember, one of the two main qualities of akhlaq, al-shaja'a wal iffa. What is iffa? The ability to hold back, the ability to say no, not yet. Wait for marriage, wait for that. Yani, 
for the, everything to be done in the halal way. So you have barakah in your marriage. How do you expect to have a blessed marriage which started with a history of fahisha? Does that make sense? Yes, but then again, يعني, get the parents involved. So you know that he's serious. Sometimes you say to him, you know what? Are you, okay, you want to get married? Fine, talk to my father. And he's like, yeah, I'll talk to him. And it's been a month, he doesn't talk to your father. And it's been six months, he hasn't, he hasn't spoken to you. But you know that this guy's not serious. He's playing around. If he's serious, he's going to talk to your father. And let both your parents know. If you really are genuine, if he's really a man, he will come and talk to your father and say, you know what? Like, I really like your daughter, but I don't know her. Can, we, can I get to know her? Do I have your permission to go out with her? Do I have your permission to come and meet her in your house? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but just get the parents involved. to get the parents involved. Why? It's fine. I keep it. Uh, it's a private matter. Only you and him and your parents and his parents know. Nobody will find out. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. خلاص. Eh? Yeah. Hey, if uh, parents sometimes get overexcited and they pressure you, uh, again, yeah. But uh, yeah, so again, Sira is not just for us, it's for our parents also. They also need to learn, right? Patience and gentleness. Um, so she initiated the proposal. Nothing wrong with women initiating the proposal. Nothing wrong. <laughs> again, a taboo topic, right? And of course, he's going to stay with her in, her in her house. That's another taboo topic, right? Like, how can you stay in your wife's house? There's nothing wrong with it. He, she was definitely wealthier than him, but uh, he took the role of being the breadwinner. What does it mean to be the breadwinner? And he's going to be paying the bills. He's going to be taking the responsibility of managing the house and the affairs and all of that. There's nothing wrong with And of course another taboo topic Is his multiple marriages So let's just talk about that very quickly Get it out of the way He had uh, Of course in Islam you're, Today You're not allowed to have 12 wives simultaneously The maximum you can have is 4 But the, the shurut for having 4 Is like very heavy If you can't do justice then 1 And that's it and you have to be just with them and it, has to, it shouldn't be done out of lust and just pure seeking intimacy. Lana, the Prophet didn't do that. Like I told you, the only virgin among the, all of the twelve was Aisha radhiallahu anha. So his, uh, the blue wives are Khadija anha, Sauda, Aisha, Hafsa, Um Salama and Um Habiba. Why are they blue? Because they were all from the Quraysh tribe. Okay, so six wives from the Quraysh tribe. And then he married four wives from the Ar- other Arab tribes. Why? For political reasons, for spreading the message reasons. It was all strategic. Okay, it wasn't based on shahwa. Nowadays, men talk about, oh, I, need to, I want to get married to a second wife, a third wife, because it's halal, it's allowed. But what's usually the intention? Is it for the sake of Islam? Is it for the sake of... Uh, you know, spreading the deen of Allah and or is it usually shahwa based and temptation based? Yeah, so 
لا يقصون عليكم ولا يقصوا على روحهم اوكي سو فور اوت اوف ذا 12 وير فروم ذا عرب ترايب زينب بنت خزيمه اند زينب بن جحش جويريه اند ميمونه اند ذن هي ماريد صفيه بنت حيي هو واز ا جو اند هي ماريد ماريا القبطيه هو واز ا كوبتيك كريستيان اولسو موست اوف ذيز لايك اي تولد يو اول اوف ذيم وير ستراتيجيك نان اوف ذيم All of them were either widows or divorcees. Um, and he, and in fact, two of them died at, during his lifetime. So Khadija Anha and Zainab bint Khuzayma died during the life of the Prophet So again, two more deaths and now it's, it's his wives. And we also know that um, The Prophet ﷺ had children from Khadija and Maria al-Qibtiya only. Okay, so he had two sons and four daughters from Khadija. The two sons' names were Qasim and Abdullah. Both of them died at a very young age, two to three years old, taqriban. And the four daughters were Zainab, Ruqiyah, Umm Kalthum, and Fatima. And uh, that's why the, the kunya of the Prophet ﷺ is Abel Qasim, right? Because he's the father of Al Qasim. And of course, from Maria al-Qubtiyya, he had Ibrahim as a son also who died at a young age. So three sons died in his lifetime. Again, very, very uh, painful experiences, guys, with death. And we talk about it very casually, Tara. But just try to, for a second, pause and internalize this. That born an orphan, mother dies, grandfather dies, and then later on, His uncle dies, his favorite wife, first wife Khadija dies, and then Zainab, and then three sons die. Death after death after death after death. And these are the closest people to him. Family, you know. And sons, like for father's sons are like special because they're going to carry on the name and the legacy and all of that. And of course, like the ulama say that there's wisdom behind him not leaving behind any sons because, you know, then, then the, like the inheritance and, and the... prophethood would be carried forward and we know from like Islamic history I don't know if you've read but how ugly it gets after the prophet dies يعني, and how the this greed for power and, and, and uh, authority becomes infectious and it, you know it really becomes uh, ugly and they used to make fun of him for not having sons right? Mm. yeah so Exactly, Batara Muhammad, like he's been cut off, literally. And uh, Allah responds by saying, Inna shani'aka huwa al-abtar in Surah Al-Kawthar. Inshallah, we'll study that when we get there. <coughs> so what makes marriages successful? One big one is common goals, right? And we know that for both Khadija and the Prophet they had common goals. One of them was, of course, building a family of that has success in dunya as well as spiritually, like they have that, you know, uh, inclination to be pure, to be connected with the truth. Although at that stage, they still haven't found out the complete truth, but they know that there is a reality out there, right? They know that there's something with this whole Ibrahim, uh, Kaaba and Tawaf and there's some reality behind it but it hasn't become clear and, and we learn how the Prophet would go to Ghar Hira uh, often to meditate and to, to do dhikr to do tafakkur to think to reflect 
and they say uh, like غار حراء like literally I've actually like uh, back in December I was uh, blessed to do Umrah with my family and I decided to go with my nephews uh, up to see غار حراء يعني. has anyone been? okay so it's an extremely difficult task took us about uh, half an hour literally going up like an ele- like up the stairs in, in this elevation guys this slope very difficult like you need to be fit if you're not fit you can't do it hmm? yeah you have support but it's like a, it's a rocky road there's no safety nothing you can easily fall off the mountain and all that but you see like you see people like going up crawling and it's just, it's just people are يعني, all sorts of different people come up and uh, I mean there's nothing up there like there's supposed to be this cave but there's just so many people there that it's impossible to get in and we just saw it from behind to uh, yeah, yeah 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 extremely like, dangerous and they serve you like sherba to chidi fog and they've made it like a market thing you know yeah so it was a nice experience but you can actually see or you're supposed to see the kaaba now we have of course the kaaba has a lot of boundaries and and construction around it but it's so high up that you can actually see the Kaaba from up there. So he could see that from up there. So one, another comment, one important thing about Khadija was that she lost three sons, or two sons, sorry, Qasim and Abdullah, but she was raising three uh, boys in her house. And you need to be aware of these three. Ali ibn Abi Talib, Zubair ibn Awam, and Zayd ibn Haritha. Okay, just memorize these three because they, they're all very young kids, boys, and she's going to be raising them and they're all going to grow up to become legends, really, like each one of them in their own way. I mean, unbelievable. Uh, so this, again, hats off to Khadija for being such a, a powerful mother, right? She um, planted those seeds of, of goodness in them and of course the Prophet also being there. So all seven were great, you know, like the, when we talk about seven, it's the four daughters who will live long and, and these three sons who are not sons, but they were raised in the house of the Prophet In fact, one of them, Zayd ibn Haritha, for a while, he is known as Zayd ibn Muhammad. And we'll, we'll discuss that, inshallah, if, if we have time. Um, Did she have kids yes, she had kids also from, from previous, uh, the previous marriages. Um, another common goal was the business of course they're married for 25 years 15 years prior to prophethood what are they busy doing are they going to stop their business no of course it's going to continue but that was something that kept their marriage strong common goal of the business and of course they were both they had seeds of goodness and generosity so they were of course doing a lot of charitable work and of course supporting the mission and the message later on with the, with the Prophet or the Prophet Salam, she's his number one supporter. And uh, so this is something that يعني, is important for anyone seeking to get married or married couples. What are your common goals? يعني? Is it to pay the sc- school tuition? Is it which, ho- which holiday we're going to go to in the summer? Is it which car we're going to upgrade to next year? 
Then, uh, let me tell you something, guys. They say that there's three types of minds, like three sizes of minds. Okay, there's small, medium, and large, just like pizza. Okay, small minds, medium minds, and large minds. The small minds talk about things, like they, whatever they talk about, they're talking about stuff. They're talking about like the latest bag or the latest uh, shoe or the latest gadget that's come out or you know that piece of furniture or that vase it's that's all your conversa- conversation is about cars or you know my pen or my watch or okay stuff small minds talk about stuff medium minds talk about people and usually most of it is toxic, it's gossip, it's backbiting, it's... Uh... And what is backbiting, by the way? Yeah, you know, like talking about your... Talking about someone else behind their back with something that you would never say in front of them, you know? It's a crime, it's like, uh, you know... So al Hujarat tells us it's... Literally, you know, eating the flesh of your dead sibling, you know, very, very uh, disgusting description there. But that's how disgusting it is, and it's so common. So, what were we talking about? Yeah, so medium minds talk about people. Oh, did you look at her dress? Oh, did you see his shoe? Did you see his car? Did you see? Did you hear about that marriage? Uh, did you see? You know the how amazing the hall was. Did you see the decoration? Did, uh, all you talk about is just stuff and people and you know how much money she makes and you know about her new nose job and you know just people, people, people. And then you have the big minds. The big minds talk about ideas. They talk about solutions for humanity, how to solve problems, how to, you know, fix the world. And so I hope in uh, Into, you're all part of this third category of the mind, large, big minds who don't waste time on, on petty things, not stuff and people. No, we talk about ideas and encourage the, your spouses to, to talk about these ideas also uh, because it, yani it brings both minds together and then both hearts together and that, that mission becomes your cause as a, as a partnership because marriage is a partnership, right? And it's supporting one another with, with that same goal. But if like one spouse has a goal to go to Hawaii and the other spouse has a goal to go to China, What's going to happen then? China and Hawaii are metaphors, right? For goals in life. Then there's nothing in common and uh, becomes very difficult. You know? So when, you, when you're in that interviewing process or getting to know process, please, I, I wish I find out if that potential spouse is uh, small-minded or medium-minded or large. Yani. If they're small or medium, then yani, try to look for someone else. <laughs> Um, 
Opposites attract, yeah. Opposites attract. <laughs> so, let's talk about the honor of Khadija. Some, some narrations about her honor. The first female follower of the Prophet. That in itself is a huge honor. And then in the hadith, the Prophet said, خَيْرُ نِسَائِهَا نِسَاءُ الْأَرْضِ خَيْرُ نِسَائِهَا مَرْيَمِ بِنْتْ عِمْرَانِ وَخَيْرُ نِسَائِهَا خَدِيجَ بِنْتْ خُوَيْلِدْ So Maryam and Khadija have been given a, a, a very high status by the Prophet on, on earth. And then the Prophet also said, أَفْضَلُ نِسَاءِ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ خَدِيجَةُ وَفَاطِمَةُ وَمَرْيَمُ وَآسِيَةُ Of course, Khadija being the wife of the Prophet Fatima being his daughter, the wife of Ali ibn Abi Talib, Maryam being the mother of Jesus, Isa salam, and Asiya being the wife of the Pharaoh. Yeah? Why was Asiya among them also? Yeah, she raised Nabi Musa and she, she was patient with Pharaoh. Like, imagine being patient with, uh, with a husband like Pharaoh. And she believed in God. She believed in God. She, she made the famous dua. She, she was a believer. She made the famous dua, Rabbi li andaka baytan fil jannah. It's a beautiful dua all of you should make. Rabbi ibni li andaka baytan fil jannah. Oh Allah, build for me a house next to you in jannah. It's so, so beautiful, right? And um, in this hadith, Atani Jibreel, Prophet said that Jibreel came to him and said, Ya Rasulullah, هذه خديجة قد أتتك قد أتتك معها إناء فيه إدام أو طعام أو شراب. Here's Khadija, she's come to you with something to feed you. فإذا هي قد أتتك, when she comes to you, imagine Jibreel عليه السلام is telling the Prophet this. If she comes to you, فقرأ عليها السلام من ربها ومني. Give her, give her this, uh, my salam and, and Allah's salam. وَبَشِّرْهَا بِبَيْتٍ فِي الْجَنَّةِ مِنْ قَصَبٍ لَا صَخَبًا فِيهَا وَلَا نَصَبٍ And give her the glad tidings, the good news of a house in Jannah that is uh, built of the finest uh, material and in which there is no pain and no suffering and no tiredness. So they say that Jibreel a.s. This is, after, of course, after prophethood, right? They stayed together for 10 years after prophethood. Jibreel um, is delivering this message to her directly. You know, it's pretty, pretty uh, amazing and uh, a lot of honor. And even after she passed away and the Prophet married Aisha, of course, there was a, a lot of romantic stories about the, the marriage between Aisha and the Prophet, but the Prophet would often mention Khadija. And, and it was clear that Aisha would get jealous of, of that, you know. And at one point she even said, like, like when are you going to stop talking about this woman? And she, he said, I will never do that because she's the one who supported me when nobody was there for me. She was, she's the one who helped me. She's the first follower of me. And he, after, after the Prophet said that to her, she never complained about like, her jealousy. But is that jealousy normal? Of course it's normal. And they were human beings, by the way. The mothers of the believers were human beings. They had, there's so many stories about jealousy. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yes, he did. Yeah. Aisha was... was Aisha, Aisha was a favorite, right? Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
So the Prophet uh, would often give gifts to Khadija's friends. Imagine after she died and just honoring her friends. And this would make like Aisha a bit jealous also. He would also, um, at one point, like one of Khadija's best friends, her name was Hala. When she would visit them and she would knock, the way she would knock was like um, very unique. And it was similar to the knock of Khadija. And so whenever she would come and visit and would knock like that, the Prophet would smile and would get all excited. And, you know, it would bring back, it would bring back all those nice memories of uh, Khadija. So can you imagine, like, even after she passes away, he has all these wonderful memories. Um, and of course, in Fath Mecca, when the Prophet is uh, finally conquered Mecca and he's victorious, he comes uh, before entering Mecca, he visits the grave of Khadija Zanha just to honor her. And so we see this repeated pattern, right? He visits the grave of his mother, he visits the grave of his uh, wife just to honor her. He hasn't forgotten her. Many husbands, when their wives pass away, like they get married after three months and and khalas, it's like, you know, they rarely remember their old wives. So how are we doing in terms of attention span? Good? Yes? So we continue? Okay, since, since this, is, this uh, episode is about marriage, I want to share, shed some light about, about marriage also from a Quranic perspective and from, from different hadith. So Allah says about marriage, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ And from His signs, and خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا لِيش لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمٍ يَتَفَكَّرُونَ And so from his miraculous signs is that he has created from amongst you spouses for, for you, literally. خَلَقَ لَكُمْ What does it mean خَلَقَ لَكُمْ He's created for you, for you, literally. It's like a gift for you. Your spouse has been created for you. Is that something to be grateful for? course and lekum also means it's because you need them and they need you it's a complementary relationship and that's why they say Adam when he was uh, he was created in Jannah Allah created Hawa for him right why because completing this Sunnah right of needing one another he needed him uh, sorry he needed her and she needed him and that's why they say that al-insan sumi al-insan from al-uns because we enjoy the company of one another and the the climax of this company and and interdependentness on one another as humanity is marriage and then he says litaskunu ilayha in this ayah that the objective of marriage is sukun it's peace so when, again, in your interviewing period, and again, for those of you who are married, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> for those of you who are not yet married and inshallah seeking and exploring and all of that, that's what you want to seek. Is, is this person going to give me peace? Does he have the qualities of giving you peace? And if he's someone who has, again, the deen and the akhlaq, and then, you know, he ticks all those boxes, then he respects you. He's going to give you peace. And of course, you want to be as a wife also someone who is a source of peace to your husband. 
You know, you don't want to, to wait for him to come home and then start nagging about this and that and you, you know, the AC is not working and you need to fix this and you, no, make, make his home a piece. You have a question? Yes. Yeah, to some extent, soulmates. He's created for you soulmates. Does this mean that ev there, there aren't women who will never get married? Yes, there will be exceptions. Are there men who never get married? Yes, there are. In our history, there are many noble men and women who haven't gotten married. I think there's like a prophet or two that did that too. Yahya and Isa. Isa alayhi and uh, I don't know about Yahya, but yeah, yes. Yahya was killed young. Yes. So yeah, there's prophets, uh, Maryam alayhi also, right? She, yeah. the Virgin Mary, like she, she never got married and went, never, never touched by a man. Um, so yeah, that, those are the exceptions. But marriage is a sunnah of the Prophet And remember, I told you the hadith about the man who said, "I'm not going to get married." Khalas, I'm, you know, it's a distraction. I'm just going to pray all day and fast. And the Prophet said, "Listen, I'm the best example for you. Marriage is from my sunnah. Do it if you can." And then. So sukoon, guys. Sometimes, like marriage homes are, like the storm is in the house, and outside of the house is peace. That's why, like, I have some friends who, like, yani, every single day they go out and chill out with their friends. You know, they they watch their football matches and they smoke their shisha and they come back at one, two p.m. Because by that time the the wife is asleep and so they can come back and have a nice peaceful sleep. So they literally avoid the house. Why? Because they don't get the peace in the house. So this is the role of the wife to make it peaceful. Okay? Now, at the same time, it's also the role of the husband to make it peaceful. So the grumpy, angry husband who just comes, off, uh, comes home bringing all the problems of work and the business in the house, again, that's also not required. When you come home, you got to switch off and bring in peace. And literally, al-maskan. What is maskan? House, right? Like, it's from, like they say, al-wahda sakaniya Right? Masakin or maskan. So what is that? It comes from peace. When there's no sukoon, it's not, it's not a house. And so be the one, and so each, each spouse needs to think of how can I provide peace to the other? Don't complain, you, don't, you never give me peace. Don't, don't like wait to receive peace. No, you give peace, she gives peace, both of you give peace to one another and that's how it works. And then he says beautifully, I mean, you, we can talk about this ayah alone, I'm not kidding, like for days and months and like entire books and volumes can be written just about this ayah. So I, I don't want to overdo it, but... He says, And he's given you pretty much between you two things that you can use as tools. There's mawadda, which is love. And mawadda is a higher form of love. It's not hub, it's wid. That's why Allah's name is not al-habib, it is al-wadud. Why? Because al-wid is unconditional love, where you don't seek anything in return. It's more pure. Okay? And so he made between you mawadda and rahma because sometimes you're going to have that love. But sometimes we're humans. Something happens and we get upset. And then you need what? Rahma. You need mercy. You need forgiveness. 
you need to forgive one another because we will make mistakes. We will lose our temper sometimes. We will make mistakes. We will say things that we don't mean. We will upset one another. We will make wrong choices. And so these are like the two wings of the bird that you use to fly, you know, and you need both. So mawadda is important, that love, the affection, the intimacy is important, but also mercy is also very, very important. I see most people are getting hungry. And then this ayah also, like, I don't want to dive too much into it, but الرجال قوامون على النساء, very important. Because many men take advantage of this ayah and they use it as a means to become an, an oppressive authority over the wives. And was the Prophet ﷺ like that? No. In fact, he, he said, one of the, his sayings was, Rufqan bil qawarir. Very beautiful statement. Rufqan bil qawarir. So, let me explain to you the context behind this and then the meaning. So, back in the days when uh, they used to travel, the women would be carried in what's known as al haudaj. Who, who knows what a haudaj is? It's basically like this. Um, canopy kind of structure that is carried on camels so like the camels are carrying a small uh, canopy where the, the women sit in so you sit inside like a princess yani. you're carried on top of the camel and like with all the comfort and everything so you don't have to sit on the camel you're sitting in a small room that's carried on top of the camel that's called a haudaj okay <clears throat> And so as, uh, of course, to get on the haudaj, is it easy to, to get on the camel? No. So they would be assisted. And often it is mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ would kneel down on his knees to allow his wives to step on and get on the haudaj. So in, in modern day times, that would be the equivalent of the husband opening the door for the wife. You know? Um, and in, in one... <laughs> has that ever happened? <laughs> Um, and he also at one point would give his hands his blessed hands for his wife to step on to get on the haudad and he would because the women were um, delicate of course when you're lifting them in the haudad uh, are you supposed to be rough with them or gentle because of course if you're not gentle they can fall off and, and, and injure themselves badly and so he would say this in that context but the bigger context of this is be gentle with women because what does qawarir mean by the way it from it comes from like uh, uh glass like j very fragile glasses like think of you know those uh very very delicate glasses champagne glasses kind of thing okay that's the closest description of qawarir and so women are extremely gentle extremely fragile he says, Rifqan bihim. Rifqan bil qawarir. What does Rifq mean? Gentle. Gentle, soft, tenderness, soft, exactly. Okay? So, Arrijal qawamun al nisa doesn't mean you're harsh, you're using your authority and. and no, it means you should take care of them and be Exactly. Qawam from Qayyum. Like you are, you are managing the, the, the. You're responsible primarily for the well-being of the house whenever there's a conflict who's supposed to be the one to fix the problem the husband the rayal okay that's real manhood and uh, 
So there is a primary responsibility. It's the, the rajal and then the secondary is the women. Yeah. Um, so this is not something that women can, uh, that men can use to manipulate women. No, it's in fact a, a burden on on men. This ayah, because it's it's adding a heavy responsibility on the men. In the Torah, until you're responsible to ensure al qayyumiyah fil bait. And by the way, that's one of Allah's names, right? Al qayyum. Allahu la ilaha illahu al hayyul qayyum. The one who manages all his affairs, who makes sure everything is running smoothly in the most perfect manner. And that's what the husband does. Or is supposed to at least. And of course in the last khutbah. And imagine farewell khutbah. Yani, is that an important speech? Yes, the last khutbah that the Prophet will give to humanity before he dies. Is that going to be an important speech? Yeah. Is he going to be mentioning the most important things? Yeah. So what does he mention? He says, Allah, Allah, fi salah. And then right after that he says, Usikum bin nisa'i khayran. That I give you advice to make sure that you take care of your women. So salah, such an important act of worship, right? And then women, side by side. And you have an entire surah dedicated after women, right? To, to highlight, like there's no surah till rijal like in the Quran. Why? Because... Women, and listen to this carefully, women, yes? Uh, because I want, I want to get your feedback on this. But women have been created dependent. Ever since you're born, you're dependent on your father. And then when you're married, you're dependent on your husband. And uh, there's a beauty in this. And that's why in Surah An-Nisa, Allah keeps talking about taking care of the women, taking care of the orphans. And why are orphans and, and women mentioned simultaneously together in a lot of the ayat? Because just like orphans are dependent on society, women are also dependent on society to take care of them. Now, does that degrade women in any way when we say that women are dependent on society and society needs to take care of women? Is that degrading to women or is that honoring women? Because many women find that, like, I don't know why they find it degrading and no, we don't need to be dependent on anybody, we can take care of ourselves and, and then this leads to like this whole female empowerment discussion. Yes, yes. It, we shouldn't be yani, completely independent when we're 
Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So. So. Yes. Go ahead. Please. I would say she was empowered in a beautiful way, right? She was a symbol of a female who was empowered and she had a lot of influence on society. But again, she got married and now she's... Eh, exactly. Again, honestly, I don't know if you know her father was alive or not, but up until the point her with her father was alive, she was dependent on her father for being the man of the house and making sure that she's protected in the house. And yani, it's, it's an emotional... It's, don't think of it also less as physical and material. Like emotionally, women need a, a guardian. You need a shoulder to lean on to. You need some backing, you see, like some sort of guardian. That's just women's uh, nature. That's how Allah created them. Fa independence can be defined in different ways. But financially, you could say she was independent. Yeah, her business was successful. But that's not what independence is all about like this. Independence is a much bigger word, right? So what you're saying is, yes, you can be financially independent, but emotionally, you still needs someone you need so, so so socially you need dependence on the yeah. need is more about the need because I need to depend on exactly exactly uh, you know, yes 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 but also need that. Yeah, exactly. both absolutely absolutely so it's an ex- interchangeable need we said insan you need that uh, affection and, and uh, Bond, of course, 100%. <laughs> so about equality, uh, uh, musawa, are, are female and males equal? No. Quranically, no. Right? Dhakar uh, is not like untha, but are they balanced? Yes. So the Quranic uh, correct view is we're not equal, we're very different, but we're balanced in, the such, uh, in a sense that... Yani, you have pluses, we have pluses, and we complete each other. We complement one another. But we're not equal. Okay? So this whole idea about musawa and, and gender equality and all of that, uh, to some extent, there is a truth to it. Yes, you need to have, for example, in, I mean, I, I'm an ex-tennis player. So, in, for example, tennis prize money for women should be equal to men. Yes. Uh, if you want female board members in a company yes you sh- they should have equal opportunity to get these positions and yes in that sense yes there's equality but in terms of your creation in terms of your nature in terms of your responsibilities and all of these other complex things we're not the same like let's not kid ourselves we're very very different but that doesn't make one better than the other and uh and a beautiful thing about marriage, this beautiful hadith, whoever Allah provides with a righteous wife, Allah has assisted him in half of his religion. Let him fear Allah regarding the second half. So, uh, you know, a lot of people misunderstand this as 
Oh, إذا أنا تزوجت خلاص أنا كملت نصريني ف I'm good. Exactly. But if you read the yeah, if you read the hadith, it's actually your the first half. By marrying, you just completed your first half, and now it's turn to figure out. Notice, let him fear Allah regarding the second half. So the other half is now the real business. But in a way, it also means that if you've managed to have created a beautiful family, a healthy relationship. Uh, where you have uh, you know harmony in the house and sukoon and mawadda and rahma and upbringing children that's half of your deen is is yani is being worked on pretty well okay and then of course the rest of the half is also uh, another story in and of itself and then the prophet also says that whoever among you is troubled by his sexual urge let him marry for marriage causes the eyes to be lowered and safeguards the private parts So again, this connects with our our discussion earlier about fahisha and how marriage is the solution for that. Hmm. Saum, yeah. If you're if you can't get married, then saum, yes, and and being active with like whatever sports or just get your energy out in a halal way. And Allah says, "Hunna libasun lakum wa antum libasun lahun." They are the clothing for you, and you are the clothing for them. Like literally, they are your garments; you are their garments. So, the tashbih is tashbih of uh, clothing. Both of you are clothing to one another, and there is many books written about this. Just this one ayah about how clothing represents number one a sitter. So you cover their flaws; they cover your flaws. You don't go and talk to your parents about like his his mistakes and his. Uh, secrets, and he doesn't do that same the same thing with with his friends and buddies, and you know doesn't share bedroom secrets with the outside. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect is protection. Clothing is a form of protection. Clothing, uh, so you protect one another. Uh, clothing is also meant to be beauty, beauty. So you beautify each other, and of course, there's the intimacy aspect of clothing also. Uh, the fact that you're so because the clothing is the closest thing to your skin, right? And so you're so close to one another, just like clothes are close to your skin. So there's many, many depths to this, but it's it's just a beautiful way that your spouses are a garment for you and you are for them. So it shows you, and the Deen, the Quran, the Prophet's teachings is all about being gentle, being kind. And then this hadith about uh, the broken rib, or not the broken rib, like the the Crooked rib, okay. Listen to the hadith. Estausu bin nisa'i khayran. Take care of your women. This is again a message to the men. فإن المرأة خلقت من ضلع. For the woman has been created from a rib. وإن أعوج وإن أعوج شيء في الضلع أعلاه. And the the most curved part of the rib is the higher part. فإن ذهبت فإن ذهبت تقيمه كسرته. If you try to straighten the rib. That's not what a, a rib looks like, right? It's curved, kind of like a, the shape of the idhan. It's crooked in the top and then it's slightly not, not that crooked. It's slightly straight at the bottom. So if you, if you try to straighten it, if you try to straighten a rib, what's going to happen? It's going to break. And if you leave it, it's going to stay crooked or, or curved. خيرا 
so manage and deal with women gently and in a good way what are what are some of the meanings of this hadith number one be gentle with women they are because men men don't understand uh, women because women are very different right there's a famous book written about this men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Yeah, you should read it because there's a lot of truth to it, you know. Uh, completely different software in both. And uh, when, women, when men try to expect women to work on the software that men are working on, it doesn't work. It's like straightening that. It's not going to work. Accept them for them, their software being different than yours. I think that's the, the closest way to understand this. They're different than you. Don't try to change them. Because that's just their nature, you know. And there's beauty in that nature. It's not a flaw, you know. See the beauty in their i'wijaj, if I may, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, the wives of the Prophet would, would mention about the Prophet Sassan being, like in one narration, Aisha tells us that like, just like the horizon has a sun, he was the sun in our house. That's how she describes him, you know. Like, because sometimes like you you'd think that the religious husband is like the the strict husband who's who has a grumpy face never smiles is always serious about life never jokes is uh, you know all he cares about is salah and he's sitting in the house and he's just reading Quran and praying all day but the process was extremely cheerful loving joking fun uh, romantic and he, he would eat like if his, if, his, if his wife was eating from the plate, he would eat from the same plate just to kind of, you know, show that affection. And uh, these just small gestures, he would feed his wives from his blessed hands before he ate for himself. At one point, he raced with Aisha, they were uh, young, and he would race her. Be like, literally, like, the Prophet's telling Aisha, hey, you want to race? And they would race. And when they were young, the Prophet beat uh, or sorry, Aisha was lighter than the Prophet, so she beat the Prophet. So many, many, many years later, of course, back then, uh, uh, the Prophet is older and, and, uh, and Aisha is, has gained weight. And so they're, they're going back from like one of their trips. And he tells the whole caravan to proceed as they're left behind. And he tells Aisha, hey, you want to race again? And they race. And this time, uh, the Prophet beats her. And he tells her, Hadihi bitilk. Meaning, this race, I won this race just like you won that race, you know. So we're equal. 1-1, one, one, basically. In another narration. Uh, why am I sharing all this with you? Just to show you how husbands should be. and يعني, You know? So share this recording with your husbands. And, uh, um, in one incident, Aisha anha is young and uh, there's a show that's happening in, in Masjid al-Nabawi literally like this group of people came from out out of the city and they're putting on a show there's wrestling matches going on or think of like a you know in festivals when you have like a group of people doing a show like a stunt kind of thing and so she wants to see and so the Prophet ﷺ tells her okay come climb on my back and I, I let you see and so just try to imagine that scene Aisha Anha, this young girl, climbing on the shoulder of the Prophet, literally cheek to cheek from behind him. 
and uh, the Prophet is gentle with her. He doesn't say, ah, oh, astaghfirullah, haram, you can't see this, and it's no, uh, you know, go pray, go read Quran, do something, you know, like, you know, he says, of course, come see. And so yani, she's seeing and enjoying the show, and then the Prophet, after a while, of course, he's much older, he gets tired, and so he tells her, so Aisha, are you done? And she says, no, I want, I want to see some more. And so the, you know, the Prophet then adjusts his sitting and then she sees more and she just, like the Prophet just accommodates her, you know, and and he would call her Aish, he would call her Humaira also, because sometimes he would be so romantic with her, she would like blush and her cheeks would turn red. And so he would call her Humaira. So like, um, they also narrate the wives that yani, Aisha specifically would narrate that the Prophet ﷺ would often read Quran while laying on her in her lap. You know, um, she would comb his hair, he would comb their hair. He would kiss his wives even while fasting often, and uh, he would help them with the chores of the house. Uh, he would encourage dressing up, looking good. Again, very important for us. Like usually, like ahna, nowadays, like the husband or the wife is out of the house. They're dressed up completely, like decked up, and then you come to the house and you wear the crappiest pajamas and the you know, uh, yani stinky underwear and whatever, and you're just like sitting and expecting your wife to be attracted to you. And the, fa, that's not the case. Yani okay, you dress up outside the house, but then you gotta be at yani dress up and impress dress to impress inside the house also you know make sure you have your cologne on make sure you have your deodorant on make sure your breath smells nice the prophet would always before entering the house he would have his miswak in his mouth just so that he wouldn't like this like uh disturb his wives with you know of course his smell was naturally beautiful but and then the hadith ma darabar ما ضرب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بيده امرأة له قط ولا خادما. He never ever ever raised his hand on any of his wives or any of his servants. So this is a message to all the domestic violence husbands who use their physical uh, strength and, and superiority to uh, beat up their women and you know. Uh, physically abuse them and it's unfortunately very common not talked about hush hushed and women are a victim of this and women need to speak up and raise their concerns and share this with their families and go to the respected authorities to report this because this is a violation of your right a husband does not have a right to raise a finger on you you know uh But again, women sometimes cover up on this because of the sake of, for the sake of the marriage, for the sake of the kids, and for the sake of the setter. But it's a problem, it's marad, it's, it needs to be resolved, either with therapy or uh, some sort of intervention, you know, some counseling, something needs to happen. In society, Yeah, what will people say? Aib. Women, like sometimes their families don't Yeah, they'll blame the. like yeah, for, yeah, exactly. 
if someone, if a wife goes to her parents and says, he does this and this, usually the blame comes on the wife. Until Very serious problems, honestly, like, it breaks my heart, you know, to know this. Yes, hurt people, hurt people, they say. Yeah, yeah. Most of these uh, <coughs> psycho husbands have been abused in the past, maybe by their fathers, or and then it comes out in them. But that's not an excuse, يعني, you know. Um, we have in our deen, which is your nature. Yes, you've inherited it from either childhood or wherever, but through experience. But we have something called teskiyat nafs. You can outgrow this. You can purify yourself out, out of this. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can... This anger issue you have, Allah can and remove that anger. You know? If you work on uh, tazkiyah and purification, which is extremely, extremely important. And just, I feel like the niyyah, having the niyyah, wanting to change. Having the niyyah and believing that you can change. And, yeah, not just playing the role of the victim and saying, oh, you know, that's just the way I am. You have to, yeah, you can't ask God without exactly yeah sincerity sincerity and in, in seeking help sincerity and admitting that you have a weakness and that you need help and then i think we'll end with this because like subhanallah's topic is very deep yani but i thought we'd go into it but uh, aisha would say that kuntu akhtasilu ana wal rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam min ina'in wahid hatta annahu la yaqulu da'i li wa aqulu da'li so they would like literally do ghusl what is ghusl? It is the uh, purification process with water that happens after uh, the sexual relations, exactly, being intimate. So they would do ghusl from the same vessel. So the equivalent of that is taking a shower together in the same shower, basically. And um, back then there were no showers. It was like a vessel and you'd like have maybe like a small container and you would... And so, of course, there's limited water and so they would like joke with each other and uh, this, this water is for me this water is for you and so all of this stuff is in our hadith you know this is not censored stuff I mean this is it's just showing you the beauty of um, how a marriage should be and how close and yani, romantic and intimate he was as a prophet and this is uh, part of his akhlaq right وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ خَيْرَكُمْ خَيْرَكُمْ لِأَهْلِهِ وَأَنَا خَيْرَكُمْ لِأَهْلِهِ so, yeah, I know we, we diverted a bit in terms of the Prophet being a husband, but I thought it's important since like, he's just getting married to Khadija Anha, and of course, all of these beautiful qualities are coming out in his marriage to her, but why don't we have many narrations? Because, again, he's still not a... Like, there's no recording of hadiths. Right? Khadija passes away when he's uh, just 10 years into the into the ba'tha, right? And uh, remember, like the first 10 years, a lot of stuff were going on. People weren't like, for them to record hadiths were not the top priority. It was survival mode, right? There's all sorts of uh, conflicts happening with Quraysh and all of that. So, But most of these other hadith about the nature of the Prophet being a husband come later on through Aisha because after Medina and all of that, like, you know, uh, things are slightly more settled. But inshallah, we still have so much to go. Um, 
and then we'll continue with that inshallah as we proceed next week bismillah barakallahu li wa lakum subhanakallahu bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa